0: Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni, Across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Hey Sam, how are you doing? Doing great, sir. How are you doing this week? Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's it's gone it's gone super fast. And uh, I must admit, I was thinking about the uh, this uh, podcast, all about how to inspire collaboration, and and of course, collaboration is about creating something greater than that original answer. And and I was reflecting on our. On our podcast, Sam, you know, this is episode 51. It's almost a year since I've got this episode. Can you believe
1: that? That's right. You know, we, yeah, we we don't celebrate our 50th birthday. We celebrate our 51st over here.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And and for me, it's, it's quite interesting when you think about it, where actually that point about collaboration, it takes someone to make the first move. It requires you to work out how are you going to divide and conquer? Which bit am I going to do? Which bit are you going to do? And then you got to set to it and and build that relationship as you go. So so how would you rate our collaboration
1: efforts a year on, Sam? Well, we both get gold stars, Chris, and we've both done an awesome job. But it's definitely evolved over the past year as we've scaled our idea more and more from a a, a startup sort of mindset to a more sustainable model in a way to support our mission and our vision. We've invested more time, increased the resources, including more people helping us out in terms of production, research, creative and content to bring it all together. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, a big shout out to our unsung heroes. We've got Tibor and Zoltan that do the the production and the design and Ella and Joe and Grace that help with some of the research and some of the transcription. So, so yeah, it's it's a team effort now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we would continue to love more and more of is the engagement we're also getting from the listeners and our audience. We're receiving lots of messages through LinkedIn and through email and word of mouth and other interactions that we're having. And so this is a bit of a shameless plug as well. If you're listening to the show and you're loving the show, please do leave us a review, preferably on iTunes. It's a great spot. It's quite easy actually to log in there to give it some... St- Stars and also to leave a short review. So shameless plug over and done with. Really early this week.
0: Yeah, it might be might be shameless, but uh, at the same time, I think uh, you know that feedback culture that we we talk about a lot is is important to us, and uh, and it gives us the energy and the spark to carry on. So um please do mm-hmm. that. And and it's an interesting journey. I think we learn all the time how to work better together, as well as working out how we work separately and then bring it together. And and that's about creating a common goal. It's about working on a sort of a common model in terms of like, well, what was important to both of us? And and we sort of felt our way in a way to to the areas where we were strongest and um, how we would do that divide and conquer. And, yeah, I think the challenge is working together has been an, an old age as a hill's management problem. Uh, but collaboration is a newish one in a way, because it's about combining those two views and coming up with a better answer. And companies traditionally used to be set up in functional structures, which gave you autonomy within the structure and, and now actually rips up a rule book with different structures. And we'll talk about that shortly and increasingly this isn't something um that partnerships that you would expect where you actually work quite hard on like sales and marketing you know it used to be how do you get these two working together or it infrastructure and development it's about product marketing it's about the whole of a c-suite it's about making siloed relationships work or making an organization structured in a matrix fashion worked as well um for this episode, we're going to focus on product and marketing relationship as it's touching more and more of marketers' lives and product management seems to be the place to be. Uh, business schools are adding courses and programs, uh, very much focused around product management. 7% of Harvard grads, this is in 2016, Sam, took a product management role. <laughs> so imagine what that is now.
1: Yeah. And as we sort of broaden it from just say Ivy League, where they're going, we look at LinkedIn and job openings for product managers grew approximately 30%. And both product management and product development were amongst the most in demand skills on LinkedIn. And I think that will continue to grow. And with that growth and with that um, evolution, marketing and marketers must know how to collaborate with product managers so or product development and product function in general. And it's as much as marketing marketing, being in the middle of that territory and and moving closer and closer is is really the ambition.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And of course, one of the previous episodes, we talked a lot about SaaS businesses and the fact that products and services businesses are growing at an unfeasibly fast rate and at the heart of them is product management. So if as a marketer, you wanna put yourself there, then you need to
1: you need to sort out your collaboration skills, really. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of what we are thinking, in terms of, okay, what is product management? There's a lot been written out there. So if you go online, search it, you'll, you'll see some folklore. There's a article from Ben Horowitz from, I think 2012, which a lot of it remains relevant today. It's called Good Product Manager, Bad Product Manager, and that dichotomy, you know, like the the pros and cons may be a bit negative, but at the core of some of that is really doing it well is consistent with the mindsets that we've talked about in episodes 48 and 49. And so the growth mindset definitely plays in here in terms of effort, mastery, the persistence and the courage that you need to to really adopt that approach. And then it's a transformation mindset that we talked about, especially moving at lean speed in this day and age is so important, supporting and going after big ideas and inspiring a team. So in this episode, we'll probably highlight some of the nuances that we allow us to go a bit deeper into it and touching the areas of trust and how you could really work with others, the curiosity and to solve problems and bring big ideas to life. And that whole drive piece as well, that continues to be important as we think about this. Yeah,
0: well said, well said. And and I think, first of all, let, let's just sort of, Talk a bit about definitions, because as as we come on to talk about being clear where and what you work on is is part of the battle in a way. Um, Product management responsibilities, traditionally researching competitors, defining the product roadmap based on customer feedback, leading that development based on the roadmap communicating with customers when issues arise that tends to be the the main bulk of it and and obviously it depending on the level of product management it can encompass more or less Uh, product marketing responsibilities Understanding that competition, the market positioning, um, enabling into internal stakeholders with toolkits um, and messaging in a way, whether that's sales, marketing or customer service and and supporting on that. And, And in my experience, pricing can sit in either camp, really. I've seen it in both marketing and product management, Sam.
1: Yeah absolutely I I've, I've seen it done both ways or a multitude of ways and this gnarly subject this controversial subject the the hottest topic of who actually owns the PL and who sets pricing and who controls it and the impact on the marketplace and how it in influences the product roadmap and the innovation roadmap and all of these things there can be a whole nother episode that perhaps in the near future we'll come come back to on on pricing and where yeah, it belongs Yeah absolutely but here's a rub
0: it can actually be quite a difficult relationship for a wide variety of reasons. Um, your Product management is often working towards different success criteria. It could be around positive user feedback. It could be around I've delivered the next gate on my product roadmap, or it could be about product reviews by analysts. Um, now, marketeers tend to be a bit more focused around brand awareness, lead generation or retention objectives. So it takes a a well-organized company with a good, strong culture to line up under common objectives. And, and the other challenge can be is that the responsibilities can be loosely defined or defined with a gap in the middle, like pricing, for instance. That, that tends to be quite a common one where the left hand thinks the right hand's doing it, the right hand thinks the left hand's doing it, and, and actually no one is. But that's why we need a step plan.
1: Yeah, I'm going to kick off with step one and probably take you a little bit by surprise by saying step one of doing this well is leverage design beyond technology. So there's a tendency when we think about product management to focus on the digital technologies, especially the user experiences or the customer experiences when it comes to f- Where the focus should be placed. And there's a great quote from Marty Newmeyer's book, The Design for Company. It's about the power of design. And in it he says: the gap between what is and what could be is filled with creative tension, a powerful source of energy for creative people. Hence, we argue that you should equally include physical products, media, and content in your definition when you're thinking about the design aspect. Leveraging the power of design requires being interested in the other creatives, the other creators that are part of your organization and seeing them as creators and valuing their expertise. But certainly the empathy and appreciation beyond your function that comes from doing this well is huge. It's about being curious and pulling big ideas out of those folks. I've been personally fortunate to work for Braun, the appliances company in Kronberg, Germany, and the Kenmore brand and Craftsman brands in the US. Uh, Yet I've usually had to request access into the labs and the machine rooms of those organizations because marketing wasn't automatically empowered to be in those places with the product folks and the engineers. I was able to immerse in the world of physical products and human experiences in a world of molds, of molding things, of machinery, workspaces, materials, and prototyping, and all that good fun stuff, computer-aided design, and 3D printers actually in action, coming up with with innovation. And by poking around and asking questions, stuff that those Product managers, those designers especially, took for granted and hadn't told anybody, it became huge marketing and commercial opportunities that I was able to take advantage of. So I'll, I'll give a shout out now to a great buddy of mine, Mike Salber. He's a design genius and he worked on an initiative where he led a, a proposition, a product called the Maestro, a breakthrough food mixer to come to market on the Kenmore brand. And it was for me poking around and asking him questions that years later we actually brought it to market. And on the Kenmore, on the On the Braun brand, um, in addition to Kenmore, which I worked in Braun in Germany, Karomberg for a few years, I found three or four competitive advantages that we could tell consumers. But we hadn't been talking about those simply by interviewing the designers in their studios, in their in their departments, sort of um, hidden away. And me going and sort of almost annoying them <laughs> into sharing information that was was great that we could put to the marketplace. So right now, you're probably thinking of Apple as the gold standard of doing this well. So instead, I'll give a shout out to Logitech. And it's led by Bracken Daryl. He's actually a former CEO of Braun. And they're an example of a company that's quadrupled its profits. And in July, 2020, it raised its financial guidance to above ten percent as they grow because they're going from strength to strength, driven by their design principles and all of what that stands for. And we'll include some of that in the links in the blog post. Excellent. Well you
0: you, you took me into that design hub there, Sam. I, I felt I was almost there. That sounded really exciting and and makes me think back to my gaming days as well and working alongside the the game designers and uh you, know, you, you had to you had to earn your stripes a little bit before you were ever mm-hmm. welcomed in, if ever you were welcomed <laughs> in. Let's put it that way. But step two is about setting common KPIs, shared targets, and being clear about those accountabilities. And, and I think the key to that is get the teams to work together early. How many times do you hear, I don't know what the key product features are, or alternatively, I'm not sure what the marketing goals are, depending on which side of the fence that you sit on. And and this doesn't just happen. You need to think about the DNA of your company and the culture you've created and put that into place. And that, to be honest, relies on a certain amount of openness, transparency, and vulnerability. Letting someone into the product process early when it's not fully formed, or alternatively letting someone see early drafts of messaging before you've got it down to your your final two is, is something where it takes a bit of courage. And I find that the best way of getting people to be open is for them to have a defined identity or help them to define their identity. If they're confident in what they're going to do, then they're more confident it, to be open about it. Um, that's about clear accountabilities and, of course, the growth mindset we discussed as well. Uh Inspired Gaming was a was a, a a funny old beast when when I joined uh it had a very sort of isolated game design team who were very much uh, responsible from end to end of thinking where do we take these games and what they are and we we integrated them into the rest of the organization we let clients have a viewpoint we certainly let customers had a viewpoint Um, And that required a certain amount of openness on everyone's behalf to, to be able to take that feedback. It's also about clear set of metrics and shared ownership. I hear time and time again of funnel metrics where marketing owns acquisition and product owns conversion. I simply don't think this works. Unless Mm. product takes into account the end-to-end experience, then how can you build a full customer experience? And it's also devaluing marketing skills as well if you focus just on acquisition. It has to be about shared team with shared responsibility but you need an owner to make sure that someone is accountable. So it is difficult, I'm not saying this isn't difficult. And once you've got a clear set of metrics, then you need a shared methodology and agreement on how you're gonna measure it as well, Sam. Now, step three is about developing and aligning a clear working model for success. And and listeners, which, which business model is right for you at the moment or you actually work in? Is it functional? Is it matrix? Is it a flat structure? Well, a Gallup poll of 4,000 companies in the United States showed of companies were in some sort of matrix of some description. And it highlights that some of the benefits is actually around collaboration. But at the same time, it also suggests that employers feel less clear about what's expected of them um, than some of their non-matrix counterparts. So you have to work harder on that. So whichever foundations um, you've got, whichever company structure, you have to focus on a feedback culture to to make that happen. Um, And it's it's often feared by managers and peers, but numerous surveys have shown that feedback can actually be craved if you work harder on it. Um, So you've got to build it at the core. Uh, You've got to make sure you do that as an early stage and embrace it however upsetting the news can be. Um, I once met a company who had a failure board, Sam, which I thought was a really <laughs> interesting idea. Um,
1: and it, and it w- as, a, as a formal thing, was it, was it a formal thing or was it an informal group?
0: Yeah, no, it was a formal thing. It was a, it was a big, like, you know, sort of A1 size uh, ply board and lo- effectively like a loyalty stamp car, um, board. So every time a test went wrong, they, they marked it off. And at the sixth failure, they had a mini party. And and I really like that because they were really embracing the fact that uh, that failure should be um, embraced rather than necessarily success. And I think that, again, that feedback culture is all part of it. but also you've got to think about not just the the overall structure, but then how you structure your mini teams that you work in, um, or product squads were the ones that was popularized by Spotify and, and now used practically everywhere. Um, and that, that squad, that product team, it tends to be cross-functional, tends to have developers as well as a product owner, but increasingly members of a marketing team in there as well. Um theoretically they should be autonomous but that isn't always the case but what is important is that the leader of a squads should be accountable not only for their own targets but also for some of the organizational targets as well Um, but the great thing about the squads is that it does provide a shared sense of ownership and it
1: forces collaboration as well yeah i love the fact that you are really providing that sense of ownership that shared ownership and that Collaboration. And therefore, step four builds on that. It's about testing and refining. And I'm going to make it plain that you should keep 10% of your budget for test and learn activities. And I can hear people screaming right now, throwing things at me virtually. So, okay, if it's not 10%, it's 8%, it's 5%, it's 3%, but there has to be some budget. I know they're getting tighter and tighter and perhaps even non-existent, but there's got to be some resources. Even when the CFO says no, you've got to have that budget to commit to test and learn. It means you're going to spend the money and it might not work, but you need to have that culture that supports that. The behaviors and mindsets we've talked about will allow for failure to happen and having that failure board. So you've got to have that failure board in in bad times as well as good times. So when you're thinking about testing refining, we actually kicked off episode two of our entire series of of, of Across the Pond about a culture of innovation, that that was a core part of it. But when you're doing this testing and refining, then you have to have transparency about the failures and the bad results. Uh, A-B testing and killing projects needs to be a regular occurrence. So you're, you're stopping things as well as starting things. Uh, and there, there needs to be connectivity between the people, the decision makers and the KPIs and the ways of working, collaborate and, and, and work together. Within that, then Chris talked earlier about the data and the, and the measures, but we need to have rigor, honesty, and integrity regarding whatever data you're capturing. So are you looking at raw numbers or a real customer base or or market share or some sort of projection? What do those numbers actually mean? I've seen market share numbers of 80%, but if the potential is only 10,000 people for your business, is that actually sufficient for your business to proceed mm-hmm. with, with that idea, with that uh, objective. Is there real data or was there one feeble anecdote somewhere that someone perhaps may be heard? You, you've really got to have a holistic analysis of performance and results. So are you fully reflecting revenue and the resources committed? Here is where there are launches and sales and revenue in the marketing PL. yet it's actually not performing. And in fact, there are huge markdowns or huge discounts being offered by sales or customer service, draining the actual profitability. So it's all about culture and collaboration and action. Do the silos have their own data or are you combining you know all the data to show net results. That for me was the best part of being a marketer. When you're joining up supply chain, sales, customer, retailer performance, and and for example, one thing I worked on was pre-launch sampling of my Kenmore appliance products. It actually led to positive reviews, which then led to very healthy return on spend, or versus traditional advertising. And as I, as I've said in at least 25 percent of our episodes, if not more, Chris, the person closest to the data gets to make the decision. Yeah, is that twenty five percent of our episodes, or in twenty five of our episodes, Sam? I don't know, both or neither. I don't know. I, I definitely, <laughs> I should have a trademark after that statement.
0: Yeah, but but it's is, it's is a good one. It's definitely a good one. I mean, I'm fully supportive of it. Now, step five is all about customer obsession. It's about understanding what what great looks like, not good. Good product teams have clear intention behind the the problems that they solve, and they obsess about it, and they should obsess about it. They understand the why before they work on the how. Um, but what they also do is draw on insights. And, and I think this is a really important point, is that those insights can come from internal customers as well as external customers. And who is their intern, key internal customer? It's the marketing team. So we're back to collaboration again. It's about using the resources around you. It's using those that actually have a direct access to the customer base and making sure that it works for you. So that's why that relationship between product and marketing is so important. And we come back to that prior point as well that um, I've been talking about for forever as well, um, which is about good to great. If you're not good at taking feedback and you don't really listen to what your customers want or you think that you know it without really asking them, you're destined to fail. Um, you have to consistently keep close to the customer's so many entrepreneurs who once were very close to their customers, as they worked on the business from the ground up, um, shouldn't lose sight of this. It, it's what made you great in the first place, so you shouldn't lose sight of it. Because if you move further away, then you can then you can do unsought, um untold trouble to the organization, and you have to keep going. This isn't something that you can put in place for a while. There's a, there's a blog by a guy called Andrew Theos, um, and um, he works for a company called Product Plan, and and he calls out a couple of sort of uh, product managers within it. And uh, and, uh, I thought it was really interesting, actually. This was a CMO of health markets, and, and he talks about people need to be motivated by the broader mission of the organization and leaders have to ensure they continually provide and stimulate that motivation. And I thought that was a fascinating point here, because you, you know, your job is to carry on stoking the fire, It's to carry on providing that um, feedback, but also that motivation from a top down as well as from a customer perspective, um, because it's that motivation that helps everyone perform upwards and stretch themselves from, from good to awesome as he puts it. And I, and I couldn't put it better. Um, to, to affect everything that you do, you really need to completely strive and and that's very much about having that relationship as close as you can between product and
1: marketing, but also with the customers as well. So then let's tie it all together with step six. It's building on testing and the customer obsession and, and refining and all the, what we just talked about before. And it's all about be great at saying no. With experimentation comes data, you get results and information. It might indicate that a new feature or functionality is worth adding or promoting, but again, if you're unsure, you likely will be tempted to say maybe, or worse, still, you're saying yes. There's a great article on this by Des Trainer. He's co-founder and chief strategy officer at Intercom. And often the answer is yes, or maybe when in your heart, it must be a no. So say no out loud, force yourself to say no. If you're using this checklist and the answer is no, then you've got to say no. If you're thinking about doing something or making a change to the product and does it really fit, is your product service or experience better is it really better again if you if it's a maybe it's it's a no you're not going to do it does it really take a few minutes or months later are you still trying the same way to make the same thing <laughs> work that doesn't happen shouldn't be doing it in fact you might decide to add a couple more features just to shore up the performance and now you've made it a little bit better right N- now you have so many choices you actually have a bunch of preference options is it really optional or have I just created death by preferences.
0: Oh, that's so true, that one. Uh,
1: the only reason you're doing it is because the boss or the boss's boss said to do it. So say no. Uh, we've got nothing else planned. There's a great quote if you're in a kitchen or cooking environment. If we have time to lean, we have time to clean, i.e., fix the bugs or clean up stuff that you've been procrastinating on versus the this feature change that you really shouldn't be doing. And just to tie it all together, there's a great quote. It says, "Real product decisions aren't easy. They require you to look at a proposal and say, this is a really great idea. I can see why our customers would like it. Well done, but no. We're not going to build it. Instead, here's what we're doing." That's by Des Trainer.
0: Brilliant. I love that. I love that. And and actually as we always like to leave the, the listeners with one thing to do tomorrow morning, uh, I think for me, that is, you've just sort of summed it up, is move from good to great and then say no. I think that, that's, a, that's a nice summary there, Sam. Um, work out what you're going to stop doing so you can concentrate on what you're going to do well. So, end of the session, Sam. Gone very quickly today. But uh, I think it's been a, a um, fact-packed one, really uh, insightful. So, so what are the three key takeouts this week?
1: Yeah, I'm going to give you three takeaways. You're probably nodding your head. They're going to be obvious, but they're definitely worth emphasizing. So firstly, commit to building collaboration at every opportunity. Yes, you may be an owner or a larger organization, but you have to spend time and effort on working together. Secondly, think beyond the digital product the physical product and the design matters just as much as all the other experiences. And thirdly, it does actually apply to you whether you are a large multinational organization or a small duo with a marketing transformation podcast.
0: Yes, I'm referring to us, Chris. Good, good. I'm glad you're referring to us. As we started and and just another shameless plug, start and end of the show, um, you know, we carry on giving us much feedback as you can. It really does excite us and ignite us and and help us do more. So please do that. And and next week's episode, um, we move on to the The last part of the action plan, the last part of this series, um, series four, and we're looking at how to role model modern leadership. Uh, That's going to be about some of the attributes, some of the factors we think are incredibly important, uh, about being people first, the culture that you need to create. Um, and uh, we've got quite a lot in store for that one. So it's going to be a good show, Sam.
1: Absolutely, Chris. Love the fact this is all building together really, really nicely. So until next week, Chris, have a great week across the pond.
0: Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransformed.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment, or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com.